Welcome to Light Your Leadership Talks, or LIL Talks. Every week, we bring you informal chats with leaders and leadership experts from around the globe. Your host is Lisa Anna Palmer, author of the international best-selling book, Light a Fire in Their Hearts, The Truth About Leadership. Listen in so that you too can stay informed about the latest wise practices that set great leaders apart. Today, our topic is the evolution of remote work from telework to post-pandemic virtual and hybrid workplaces. This is an exciting time for employers. It's also a very challenging time because we're trying to figure out how do we reset our workplaces now that we're heading back in. So today, I'm very pleased to have our awesome guest, Marilyn Domogolski, join us. She's the VP at the Enterprise Change Group and has over 20 years of experience as a management consultant working in organization development and change management. And let me tell you, I met Marilyn when I was 22 years old, I think, when I joined uh, Coopers and Librand, which is now known as PricewaterhouseCoopers. And uh, Marilyn and I were both, um, you know, working. I was, I was just a research analyst when I started. And uh, Marilyn was already a manager and she took me under her wing and uh, she taught me a whole lot and uh, continues to be a wonderful mentor. Uh, she's, she and her husband, Peter, really encouraged me to start my own business back in 2011. At such a young age, I, I learned about this concept of organizational design, organizational analysis, teamwork, et cetera. And it's all thanks to you, you know, so, so thank you for that. So we've always been aligned in our desire to achieve healthy, positive, and productive behaviors in the workplace. Marilyn is currently actively involved in conducting organizational health assessments for various government departments and agencies, and also evolving programs, right, for mental health and well-being. It's, it's very much contemporary work that Marilyn is doing. Marilyn and I have also collaborated on, on several workplace assessments, and uh, you know, an approach that's really uh, near and dear to our hearts is that it's a no blame approach, right? So we're not there to make people feel bad about themselves, you know, uh, whether they're leaders or employees, we're all human beings, and we're all trying to do our best. Um, and but sometimes we don't have the skills or the tools or the knowledge or insight that's needed in order to create healthy and collaborative workplaces. So basically this means involving everyone and having everyone feel they were fairly heard during the workplace assessments and then moving on into restoration. So going forward, how do we move on from having toxicity and difficulties in the workplace to, to creating workplaces where, where people feel heard, like they are included, like they belong and wanna do and be their very best. And through this work uh, and this recurring theme, both before COVID-19 and now, especially during the, the, the pandemic, uh, is how organizations can better address work-life balance and workload management issues. And, and even some of us are calling it work-life harmony, right? So how do we harmonize all these things that are going on? Now, Marilyn says that at the core is employee empowerment and autonomy. And this means having trust right? Building trust. That's one of the biggest challenges uh, that employers face, uh, leaders face, and then of course, employees as well, right? So building that trust. So employees are asking for leadership to trust to do their work anywhere, right? Now we went overnight from 
working in, in offices to working virtually. So trusting to work anywhere, that they work the best and having the mutual agreement on what needs to be done and by when. And yes, collaboration is still required and so is engagement. And, and I would add human connection, right? Yeah. So Marilyn, I'd love to welcome you. Thank you. You've been an amazing influence on my life, a wonderful mentor. And uh, it's so great to be able to collaborate together and have you here on Little Talks today. Oh, thank you so much, Lisa. And thank you for the, that marvelous introduction. Like you said, I think the uh, in summary, what I love working about you is that we've always been aligned. Um, and, you know, and when you have that sort of core values and beliefs, it's amazing the, the work that we've done together and it's always been successful. So very much look forward to the talk today because I truly believe that, you know, it's not so much remote work, but working now in this post-pandemic phase is it's the next, you know, it's really defining what is the organization culture of trust. Like, do you trust your employees or not? And uh, do you know what the work is or not? And um, and if you do, then it's amazing the possibilities that you'll uh, unleash. And we'll, I'll you know give you some good examples of what's happened, uh, sort of both from a personal, from people that I know personally, and from organizations that have experimented with this. So. Absolutely. And I, lo- I love the emphasis you put on trust, right? Because we hear that a, a lot in leadership development, et cetera, that whole idea, okay, we got to trust, got to build trust. And there's not always a lot of thought about what, what are the implications of that? And how no. do you do it, right? It's like, okay, let's build trust. How do you do that? And also, you know, the, the, the impact of not having trust can be so serious and, yeah. and so toxic. So yeah. Marilyn, I'm so excited about this talk. So let's, let's dive right in. Okay. So right. let's take a walk down memory lane. All right. So you and I have known each other for a long time and uh, it's been great. And, and we've, we've been able to observe what's happening in workplaces, you know, the history. So I, I'd love to know in your extensive management consulting career, when did you first begin to hear about flexible or alternate work arrangements or telework? When did, when did yeah. you first start to hear Well, that? I think it, like, it was in the 90s, not to date myself, um, just sort of formal policy and procedure. Like Treasury Board did come up with a flexible work policy. And basically, not to, you know, not to downgrade government, but what it essentially says is that the discretion of the manager, employees can ask if they want to work from home, mm-hmm. which is not really saying anything except, you know, it's the manager that decides, well, the employee asks and the manager decides. And, you know, before the pandemic, uh, now that policy has not been updated since the 90s. And before the pandemic, there was no more than between, you know, five and at most 10% employee uptake for that because it was always at the discretion of the manager. And the manager meaning that, you know, they really wanted to manage employee presence, like, you know, are they coming in at nine and are they leaving at this time? And uh, that was sort of the focus is, you know, I want to be able to see and, and, you know, and there's sort of the misperception that if I let this person work at home, well, that person might want to work at home too. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to get the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. And it was almost always very negatively perceived as, you know, I hate to say it for, for women, you know, juggling small children perhaps taking care of elderly parents at the same time. Oh, well, you know, she can't handle the work, so let her work at home for a few days. Whatever personal reasons people have, that's sort of the sort of the the management system kind of analysis of where telework came. And and so that's the 90s. And I I hearken back, uh, one of the last things I did in that large consulting firm that you and I worked for, 
there was a big IT project to develop rules-based automated decisions for the old age uh, security in Canada pension plan. It's sort of the project was called Income Security Program Redesign. And so, you know, these tech companies were pro- pro- uh, promising these razzle-dazzle rules-based decision-making systems where employees, you know, were there just to make sure that, you know, the, the information was processed correctly and um, and then reaching out to clients if there was any errors or uh, in errors in information in their um, in their form. And so I thought, well, you know, if IT is being razzle dazzled, that saying, you know, that now you don't need the human mind to make these decisions. Why can't we just take it a, a step further and say, let the human beings manage because it's all exception based kind of case processing. Let them decide, you know, how to organize and manage themselves and let the, the manager or the supervisor be um, like the coach and the facilitator to make sure they have the equipment, that they have the right education to make sure they understand how these systems work and facilitate whatever it is so that these employees can kind of manage their workload. It was all within parameters because it's very heavily monitored with performance measurement. So it came up with this concept called self-managed work teams, for lack of a better name, and they really liked it. And, you know, 20 years later, like the, unfortunately, the project never really got off the ground. But they love the co- the concept of self-managed work teams and use that as a concept for frontline sort of case processing people to say, when, when you had a, a manager that was, um, you know, progressive, they thought, okay, yeah, they do know. And they knew the, do know how to work to metrics. How can the team support itself, you know, to get the caseload numbers that we need? So that was sort of the first thing. And then thing two, uh, sort of fast forward a few years both my husband and I were driving and on the radio, we heard an interview with a, with a very articulate um, American woman called Jody Thompson talking about this concept about the workplace of the future. It was a new millennium, a uh, new decade. And she said, you know, we should just, we should only work towards a results-based work environment. Namely, employees decide when, you know, where they work, where they work best, uh, we treat them like adults. And, you know, and the, the best example is, you know, when you're a university student, you know, you can go to class or not. Um, you can, um, you know, when the, when your paper is due, you know, when your deliverable is, is due. And it's up to you to decide which hours you work. Cause, and, you know, university students, some, my son kick in at midnight and work till four in the morning and others are nine to fivers and others are somewhere in between. So people are productive in different ways. And of course, and they're not always the same. You you evolve in terms of how you work best, you know, from when you're a young professional to when you're you, when you have children, um, to, you know, to mid-career and teenagers. So so it's over time deciding how it is that you work best. But at the essence of it is really knowing what the work is. And that requires dialogue with your manager, with your teammates, knowing what the deadlines are, knowing what to do when priorities shift. So it's a very, uh, it's very much based on, on workload management. It's having it. And how many organizations, um, as you mentioned in the outset, I've done a lot of organization health assessments, according to this paradigm called the 13 psychosocial factors of the workplace, a key one is workload management. And that is always a priority because people don't know what it is that, you know, how to manage work, how to manage heavy work, how to how to adjust when priorities shift, how to, you know, that kind of thing. So at the paradigm of the results only work environment is this concept that you really have to understand the work and make the process efficient. Cut back all the, you know, do you trust your employees? Like how many times do you really have to review? And then let people work from wherever they work because of all these benefits. You're more healthy when you're working from home. And this is what they're finding in the pandemic. 
you're more healthy when you're working at home because you're not commuting two and three hours a day. Mm. Um, you're cooking better. You're perhaps moving around um, more, not sitting as much. There's less employee conflict because you're not in the same space yeah. every single day. Um, it is great for the environment. Like all these things coming together, you know, in this right. new in this new millennium, like carbon footprint, because you're not in your car, you're not commuting. And they just found they had metrics saying that, you know, that workers are actually 30% more productive. So all those good things that come from from working, you know, well, first of all, from home, but secondly, um, you know, that, you know, that you're able to sort of, as knowledge workers, have that quiet time to reflect. You know, you, you shared a lot of great points, and I wanted to highlight a couple of them that really, really resonated, especially if we go back to that experience with the, you know, ISP, the income security programs, because that, I think that's the first time we actually worked together on a project. Yeah. Uh, so I was part of that project as well. And that's where you taught me a whole lot. And now just by you talking about it, it made me realize uh, why I loved working with you on that project so much is how it rests. Cause I had just recently graduated maybe a year or two before that from university. Uh, so I'm, I'm a, a living and breathing example of early on where I got to experience that. And then you're no wonder your talk about self-managed teams and managing your own work, et cetera, resonated so highly with me because I was someone who had just entered the workforce and now having to think about, well, now that I've learned to work as an, as a student, Nobody was telling me when to do my, I, I had deadlines, I had, but I had to manage my own, uh, you know, uh, for better or for worse, my own schedule, my own workload management. And I was used to that. And now did I have to change all that and all of a sudden be treated more like a child? Mm-hmm. Now that I'm an adult entering the workforce, it's interesting how your uh, concept of self-managed work teams really mm-hmm. resonated with me as a young worker entering the workforce, because I'm saying, I started thinking, well, I could do this because I've been doing it now, you know, for four years in university. So it's, it's, it's now I'm doing it, you know, for pay (laughs) and, uh, and, and to be able to create, you know, great programs or whatnot. So I, you know, I, I think you were a pioneer in that thinking of, you know, the self-managed team and that trust piece which is still a lot of organizations are are struggling with, right? Lisa, and that's what's there now. If I can, you know, you asked me like a trip down memory lane. The second bit of information I got was, um, and it was was environmentally based. Um, Mm -hmm. There was a a group in, uh, it's associated with the city of Calgary, an organization called, with their economic development group called WorkShift. Mm. And sort of very similar to the role. In fact, they collaborated because Roe is based out of Minnesota and, and, and WorkShift is in Calgary. They said, you know what? We want Calgary. They, they had a purely environmental concern. Calgary had the great reputation. It's got the clean, a, a large city of a city that's like cleanest air on earth. Wow. And they wanted to maintain that. And they said, we do not want to build any more office buildings. Uh, we do not want to invest in the repair that comes from infrastructure damage when worker, you know, people are commuting and using the roads. They have, a, you know, a very um, climate that, you know, snowstorms or this and that, that, you know, being stuck in traffic three hours to get to work. They said, we need to shift our work. And we would like, you know, partnership between uh, municipal government, federal government, all the provincial, all the government, uh, different levels, sorry, different um, levels of government that are there and industry to commit to saying that two days out of the week people work at home 
but they have to know what the work is. And they didn't just make the environmental cause for it. They said, um, you know, you first of all, it's, it's working from home is not um, a right, it's a privilege. You have to show that you have the personal discipline and motivation to get the work done. And at the core of that is knowing what the work is, what the metrics are, what your time, you know, all that stuff that I said before. Mm -hmm. And so they prepare organizations to say, you know, do you earn the privilege to do this? Because you know the work, you know your deadlines and this and that. And they went through a very comprehensive process in assessing, first starting with the city of Calgary jobs, which ones would be suited to this. And then, you know, and then the movement kind of spiraled. They came to Ottawa and worked with the city of Ottawa and various cities in Canada and around the world. And so that's sort of another movement that was started. They had big talks to spread the word and they used the row, um, the the founders of row to sort of say, you know, really make sure you know how to measure the work. And the whole concept was then is they don't like blow up an organization and say, you must go to results oriented because we believe in this for environmental concerns. Start with a pilot, prove to your organization and show the successes and measure it. You know, just how much more productive are people doing this? Look at the savings that you're getting from not having people on the road. Look at, uh, you know, the type of work. How do people feel? Do they feel happier because they're not going into the office? So we measured all these metrics with very, very positive results. I think, you know, the whole way of uh, banks have moved towards it. I think, um, uh, you know, when you look at Canada's best employer, it says they have flexible, you know, work arrangements. And so they kind of kind of put it under that term. Um, The biggest catalyst for this movement growing has really been the pandemic because we went from what was previously, like I said, in the federal government, 5% uptake at most, you know, uh, maybe some pockets in the banking industry, um, some some enlightened municipalities like Calgary, and to now uh, organizations are doing, uh, because people have been forced to work at home, notice that, you know, all the CERB payments and everything like that was processed off of, you know, smartphones coming out of those Work has not suffered. Um, the job has been getting done. I think, you know, the, what we're hitting the pandemic was really hospitality and entertainment industries, but work involving knowledge workers was able to continue. Now, different challenges being at home and if you have children and online learning, I mean, that has been very stressful. But work has carried on. And um, as I mentioned, um, I've been involved in several uh, um, organization health assessments. And uh, and as part of that, you know, I've asked people to do pulse checks. How are people feeling, you know, working at home? Mm-hmm. And we've asked them specifically questions about remote work. You know, mm-hmm. if you had the choice, what would be your preference um, in returning to work pro, uh, post-pandemic? What we found statistically is that overwhelmingly, like 85 to 90 percent said they would like to continue in a remote work capacity. So that 85% have said returning to work part-time, like two or three days a week, primarily younger workers, they miss the sociability and workers closer to retirement because they miss sociability uh, as well. But everyone else in between that has children and this and that said, you know, I would like to carry on and work from home full-time. So the 85% have said part-time, two to three days a week. Actually, most people said two days a week in the office, three days at home. And the rest said, you know, I'd like to just carry on working from home. I know how to Zoom. I know how to call in. I know how to collaborate. We're using Teams. You know, I will go and see whoever I like to see socially. But, you know, for the most part, I am really productive here at home. 
if 85% of your workforce saying they don't want to come in, you know, and 40% are saying just one or two, then you, you need a much smaller um, uh, accommodation requirements. Think of the yeah. accommodation savings. For sure. And then you need a different kind of a workplace. You don't need somebody to have a full-time office. It's collaborative and shares because this person comes in these two days and that person comes in those two. And we have, you know, some in-person, you know, town hall team meetings. So different office requirements. You save a lot. Um, if you're going to cut back your office space by, let's say, 40 to 50 percent, huge cost savings, which means you can invest maybe the savings in, uh, you know, education for your employees, making sure they understand how to use virtual collaborative tools. Yeah. So that, and you know, leadership you saw, development. <laughs> yeah, relationship development, having fun activities, yeah. you know, that kind of thing, um, training them on everything, you know, so that you have. And just again there, so uh, looking at the evolution that, so we're going through the different stages there. So we had the telework, which yeah. was a policy. Manager um, discretion always. Right. And I, I think it was, um, it, it was uh, the roots of it were employment equity. We're yeah. trying to find out, you know, ways to help. But then again, there was that stigma that was attached, you yeah. know? Uh, so, and, Not a huge and, well, working within organizations in HR, I know that it, it became a big, huge discussion and a long process to try to get approved for telework. And yep. like you said, there was a stigma attached, right? So people really thought twice about asking for it. And then the ones that did ask, then they might get rejected or turned down. And the ones that were accepted, then there, there was always like this uh, feeling that, you know, management is sort of supportive. It was career right. limiting for sure. Um, and except with, there were some exceptions because I remember doing a best practice research um, on accommodation policies with some of the banks, some of their headquarters, even had executives that who were job sharing or having some sort of telework. Uh, so they were a little bit pioneering in, in that in that sense. So then we had talk of uh, self-managed teams was also contemporary to that. And then more of an integration of all these concepts into the role, the results only work environments created by Culture X. They would right. say, you know, it's all about results, period. Right, right. So, um, so, and, and I think that's evolving as well because yes, it's, it, it results are absolutely important, but we also need to have that leadership piece, which yeah. is maybe a little bit more subtle there, but we need to bring it out to the yeah. outset, which is what I think where yeah. we're at right now with the pandemic. Yeah. Right is is understanding that yes we can send people home yes we could talk about results but we also need that human connection piece totally that, that personal development leadership development not only for for people in formal roles like managers and directors etc but also for employees themselves because all of a sudden now I'm I'm self leading more I'm not at the office I need to arrange my life to make sure that I'm able to stay healthy, like you said, which is a challenge for some people, you know, yes, mm-hmm. I'm at home, but the temptation is there to also stay logged in longer, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> let's talk about that. Yeah. I just wanted to say, because this is where, okay, row is great, you know, because it's quantitative, look at yeah, 30%, but when you're in a pandemic and your, your, your whole social life is limited, what's happened out of that is they're, they're saying, like, I, I saw some statistics that, you know, 40% of Canadians have gained weight. You know, people have this preference for work. Um, it's negatively affected mental health. Um, mm-hmm. Now, that's not just remote work, but it's, you know, COVID as well. But, you know, we're getting averages like 45% are saying they feel stressed, anxious, scared, negative, or unhappy. And that's like, the you know, granted, that's COVID too, because, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. But when you're missing the connection. So uh, more to the point is, what's the role of the manager in connecting right. people to get, you know, if you were connected um, and, you know, as we saw, Lisa, in some of our sessions, 
some managers don't know how to use Microsoft Teams and have not had team meetings. Right, right. Uh, so, so they're kind of just like piling on the work. Um, and so heavy workload, we're, we're finding also like in these post checks, uh, um, heavy workload, that's about 30% are saying I'm stressed and emotionally drained at the end well, of the day. And, I don't know how to ma- manage my work like right. that. So that's that self-leadership piece. And, and on top of that, what I'm finding in, in when I'm coaching and stuff is I'm finding that people who tended uh, to be micromanagers in the workplace, in the physical workplace, now are trying to figure out ways to micromanage virtually and remotely. Mm-hmm. And it's having very negative consequences uh, in terms of adding stress. Now people feel like they're tethered to their laptop and workstation. Um, and what I'm, I'm seeing, which I, I think you've heard me on my soapbox uh, about this whole movement towards filling that gap of micromanagement with employee monitoring systems, which totally wipes out that whole idea of trust, you yeah. know, like turning your managers into security guards so that they can look at their employees on, on a screen all day is mm-hmm. not the answer. No. Work on leadership, work on, you know, results work. only work environments, uh, work, on the work. work on the culture, work on the yeah. culture and work on creating collaborative workspaces that are virtual and mm-hmm. also hybrid. So when you bring people in back, you know, people are choosing to go back into the office once or twice a week, that's more inclusive and accessible because it's it's kind of like, okay, well, what works for each each of you? And then when those that happens is, you know, having, it's like a reunion of sorts. Mm-hmm. And I could see people having better relationships overall when they're seeing each other once or twice a week than being in each other's workspace, eight hours a day, seven, you know, five days a week or whatnot. So, so there's a lot of positive that can come out of this provided that, as you said, the managers, the directors, the, the, the people in formal leadership need to develop that other piece, which is how do you create a culture that welcomes and leverages all the great stuff that can come out of working remotely and virtually. Yeah. So you, you know, you have to, as a manager, say, I'm hiring the right people. You got to trust the individual. And then you have to trust the team. You know, there's always the trust the team that they know when to collaborate. If you need people in the office because there are certain requirements, trust the team to figure out what days work best for each one to come in or to come in together. Ask them. It's amazing. Like, uh, I think we worked on an assignment for... um, it's not the one we're currently working on, but another one where they they had all these, you know, early morning requests and late requests and this mm-hmm. and that. And we're told everybody has to come in at six in the morning. We say, no, everybody doesn't have to do that. There's those that can do that and they're willing to do it. And there's others that can stay later in the day. Let us figure it out. We'll cover it all right. so that the work requirement gets in. And then everybody is working, you know, at their best schedule, given the time they are in life. And never assume that that's the way it's going to be forever because people, right. like that, your life changes as you move from um, yeah. young professional to, you know, young family to teenage, you know, and, and elderly. Like you, all yeah. your requirements change and, and approaching retirement. Um, Absolutely. You know, as a manager, I, I got I have a story to tell. Like this is, yeah, a, go and for I it. Hate, you know, I hate to use this um, just to that point is the, the role of the manager is to know what the preferences are for each and every one of their employees, really, really know them well. And I remember uh, I did this session. Um, it was a thing on change management, new strategy and new this and that. And uh, senior management team came up with, um, you know, this, this is the new, this is the new strategy and action plan. Nobody knew. Like, and it was the middle managers that had to um, implement it. And they, there was a disconnect between what was 
And so we had a day long session just to, you know, kind of tell everybody what this was all about. But just to warm them up, they said, we'd like one of you to speak and just, you know, who's a middle manager that you admire? Like who would you, you know, that you could see, you know, and what are the attributes? And they said, well, absolutely pick this person. And it was surprising why they picked that person. Um, and they said, um, it's because she's the manager. And this is like a terrible time in government when the, you know, the draft came down. Yes. And, the and, um, deficit reduction and, action plan and, and, and lots of cutbacks. And, yeah. You know, like it's like a very old example, but still one that stays with me to the day. And um, she was the type of manager that always told employees what was happening, what was coming down, whether she knew it or not. So she said trap was happening. And I just didn't. And of course, everybody's nervous. My employees didn't know. But I just kept telling them, I still don't know. I still don't know. Believe me, when I know, I'll tell you. She started her presentation like this. She said, there's two things I want to tell you about. I'm addicted to social media. You know, that was like 10 years ago, not when it was a big thing. And secondly, DRAP was the proudest day of my career. And everybody kind of stiffened because it was like the worst day. of. And so, right. yeah. she said, you know, I started using, you know, texting every single one of my, my employees just with messaging saying, this is coming, that is coming, keeping them for, I don't know, how do you feel about this? You know, like just, you know, just came out of a meeting and so that people had just in time information. And then she said, you know, as I, as I fast forward with drop, she didn't know what was happening. She heard rumors that her whole group was going to be wiped out. She was called in to, I guess, deputy's office. And that, in fact, happened. The whole group was uh, right. was wiped up. She said, oh, I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, believe me, when I do find out, we're either we're going to I'm going to book a room. We're all going to have lunch together and we're either going to celebrate or cry. I don't know. So you see how she was being honest. Right. And, yeah. She was up front. And then secondly, she said. So it did happen. And then she immediately told everybody and book buses. This is the day when you had those kind of things. And I think she went to the Villa Salamarconi on Preston Street and booked yeah. everybody a big lunch. And she said, what I want to do is I want to find out what each and every one of you want. So those that want to stay within the department, those that want to go elsewhere in government and those that simply want to leave. I want to make sure I understand each and every one of your preferences and needs at this time in your life. And I'm going to put a big board up for everybody to see. And I'm going to manage this for the next three months. Well, at the end of the three months, she found everybody a position to what they wanted. Like wow. so everybody didn't want to be redeployed every, you know, so she met all of their needs as opposed to the manager who left it to human resources to leave a pink on everybody's desk. Oh, so, and that is the same, you know, I'm, I, you know, long winded story, but the same story with how is it that people want to work? How do you work best? Have that conversation as Absolutely. a manager. So that's your role. Say, okay, you have to do this, this, and this, and these are the kind of deadlines. Um, you know, how do you work most productively? I understand you have young children or this or that. Uh, so let's work it. Let's work it out. And, you know, I, we're going to need people in the office for these and these reasons. We're going to collaborate. What's the best time for, you know, so you just you really, really understand. And, uh, OK, we're, we're always having team meetings like a stand up just to see the we on track every Monday morning, no more than 15. You just zoom in or, you know, I love that because it's so inclusive. Right. And that is a huge part of leadership is understanding and, and um, looking at things from the perspective of your employees and removing obstacles, removing blocks, you know, addressing conflicts yeah. and, and just creating environments where they can thrive and shine and, and right. be and give their very best. Yeah. You know? So I just wanted to pause for a second for just to clarify what DRAP was. It's the Deficit Reduction Action Plan that took place in the 
federal government of Canada back around 2012, 2014. And there were major layoffs, like tens of thousands of people were laid off in town. Um, and, uh, and so Marilyn gave an example of how uh, different managers handled it. So some of them really took that humane approach and made sure that they understood what, you know, the struggles of, of their employees and what their preferences were to stay or leave the government, while others just let go of the process and just didn't care that people were going to come in one day with a pink slip on their desk. Yeah, and, and they didn't give, it was human, they asked Yeah, it was HR. So what a contrast, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the first manager is a hero, and uh, I'd say the second manager is zero yeah. in, in this situation. But let, let's dig a little bit deeper, Marilyn. I want to that question of trust, because I think it's very uh, esoteric to some people um, in try and, and for a lot of us, really, because trust is one of those concepts like love and, mm-hmm. and energy. So what, what is trust, right? So when I coach with leaders, I always ask them about trust, you know, because if you don't trust, you don't delegate and you have a tendency yeah. to micromanage, exactly. right? So I ask them, what's your trigger there? Why are you not trusting? And have them self-reflect on, well, what is it? Why am I not trusting my employee? Number one, do I trust myself being a good leader? And if I don't, what do I need to do to, to fill that gap? But secondly, why do I not trust? Maybe they're not, maybe the employee uh, is underperforming or they're not trained properly. Maybe they're missing uh, certain coaching or guidance on work. Maybe the employee hasn't been mentored or taught how to manage their workload or uh, set boundaries or or make a plan, right? So when I when I coach, I always say, okay, if you're not trusting, what can you do as a leader to increase that trust? First of all, like you're saying, right? Have that conversation with the employee. What are your obstacles? What are your blocks? What you know? What do you need to have in place to be able to meet the the requirements and meet the deliverables? And then your job as a leader is to make sure that you equip, you empower, and you educate your employees so that you can start to trust them and delegate more with time. And and also that piece about situational leadership that people, depending on where they're at in their career or are they new to the role or are they seasoned and experienced, then you adapt your leadership style based on that, right? So so there's a a lot of self-reflection that needs to take place for leaders who are not trusting. It's like you're part of it. If you're not trusting, you need to do some work on yourself as well, right? Absolutely. So I just want to, to make sure that we underline that yeah. piece. Yeah, you know, like one of the key leadership competencies is, you know, your whole, you know, your whole people skills. And I think they should really ask them, like, do you trust? Do Would, would you trust your, your employees? Do you mm-hmm. trust them? They should ask that. Because I think in the end, it's the frontline employees that know the job the best. And if you trust them to do the work, if you, if, first of all, if the job requirement is clear, and that's the manager's job to yes. clearly, you know, this is the job, right. find the right person to meet that requirement, and then trust the person and trust that person to work with others to figure out the best way of doing things. That's where you get a really productive workplace. Yes. And this trust can come by not being physically co-located in the workplace because mm-hmm. And, you know, the next generation, if we're thinking about that's why, you know, this pandemic has kind of fast forwarded all this thinking about, you know, results, any work anywhere, autonomous, empowered, work anywhere, you get great results, it's great for the environment, reduce carbon footprint and so forth. And it's the new generation of worker. And it's what, you know, it's what it's, you know, like, if you think of our children, they're so connected on social media, and you think, oh, they're on their phones, but you know what, they're connecting. 
They're cons- way more than we did. Like, oh, yeah. you know, if you have, like, I never had a hundred friends and, you know, like <laughs> your, your, your group is large and uh, I'm just going to uh, tell a story in a roundabout way. Um, I have a daughter who, uh, you know, like in computer science and so forth. And, and she was in a great office environment for the pandemic, loved going in and like very sociable and, you know, loved all that camaraderie. And, and then the pandemic hit and, and boy, like, you know, the social thing kind of just fell and, um, and then, you know, and she changed companies for various reasons and like in, in her twenties. So we're talking, you know, the new, the yeah. new generation of worker. And then she thought, well, what am I going to do here? So then the company, this is a private sector, uh, offered things like for wellness, uh, Zoom and yoga and uh, always, you know, they're thinking about employee health because compute people right. sitting at the desk. So she's connecting with all these people, not just in her office, but around the country and around the world yes. doing uh, Zoom and then yoga, whatever time she wants. It's offered at any time of the day. And, uh, you know, I, I actually I joked with a, with a client yesterday where I'm doing an organization health assessment. And he was so proud. He said, because for a government department, I got Zoom yoga lessons it's because people want it. They want to connect with each other. And it's even with, um, you know, somebody they're seeing, you know, they're checking in, they're doing their yoga before they start at seven o'clock. And it's great. They just feel better for the day. Yeah. That's the thing. And the second second thing she's done is just working anywhere. So, um you know, she's been able to, um, now this is, you know, this is just because of the way she is, but, you know, working at a ski hill in the winter or, uh, you know, taking, a, you know, so working anywhere that she wants, um, but still getting the work done. And, and the change of scene has really, because she was like, her, her mental health went from very high to um, just okay, because she was missing that social connection. Right. And because she was able to do all this stuff and still carry on with the work. And that's what the new generation wants. They want that kind of flexibility yeah. because they know how to keep in touch with people that they like through social media and get together, you know, and they don't put up with guff. Like if they don't like anything, they'll tell you. Let's pause here to think about the uh, impact of a manager's perception of their employees on their ability to deliver and also on the work environment. Right. Yeah. So people will rise to your expectations. So if you expect them and start treating them like babies, guess what? Yeah. They're going to react to that. Right. Yeah. We're yeah. adults. We don't want to be treated like babies. Yeah. So it's helping uh, managers, you know, and, and, and to be fair. Right. They probably haven't had a lot of mentorship, role modeling, uh, any leadership courses they would have taken would have been more management than actual leadership and development. So when noticing that, then taking the steps, okay, well, things aren't working out. I'm not relating to my employees well. They're, I'm getting resistance and pushback. Not to think and blame it on them, but it's like take the ownership and say, okay, well, what I what's inside of me or my approach, my mindset, how I think and behave yeah. will affect the team and that will be reflected back to me. So if things are not working well and they're wonky, I need to do so without self-blame. This is not about self-blame. It's about self-compassion and the desire to grow our leadership abilities so that we can begin to create these virtual or physically present workplaces where there is trust and understanding that my degree of trust depends on my my own personal leadership development and how I support others in theirs, right? So so there's that. that I think that's what we're navigating right now with these workplace assessments yeah. and with 
is that, you know what, we have a technology, we're able to do it, but we need to deal with the human element that maybe we've been yeah. stopping down and ignoring yeah. now yeah. For, for decades. Yeah. And, uh, and let's, let's go in there and have those challenging dialogues. Yeah. Uh, that self-reflection, you know, that, yeah. that peace. Trust, trust the individual you hired, trust yeah. the team to come up with the best ideas, how to do the work. And if you're nervous, you know, take intelligent risks saying, okay, let's, let's try it out. If you were the manager for a day, what would you change? Yeah. I always ask us, what would you change if you could yeah. just, and when I ask, when we ask those questions, you've seen them. Um, it's always very practical things yes. that, first of all, are using the technology to utmost and making the work better and faster and more efficient or, you know, or greater quality. Absolutely. And then if you're nervous, test it. Yeah. Get feedback, share, and then share the success story. Yeah. Or, but, you know, say lesson learned. We should have, we, this went well or this did not go so well. And so then you're continually innovating as an organization. Right. But you don't, again, you don't have to be all lined up. Just to build on what you're saying, Marilyn, it's it's uh, what Simon Sinek uh, calls creating that circle of safety, mm-hmm. right? Creating a circle of safety around your team so that we can experiment and take those risks without blame. And mm-hmm. I, I love that about your approach. You're like, this is not about blame and who's mm-hmm. right, who's wrong, who's done it wrong. It's about being supportive and encouraging uh, one another to stretch Mm-hmm. And that's where innovation, creativity, and all those great ideas you're talking about that you're harvesting yeah. will, will start to come out is, is create that safe space. And it can be virtual. Then they have, you know, this is noticed. And you share those stories in a town hall or with the organization or kudos. Uh, yeah. And yes, you know, it's, it's good to be remunerated and good to be promoted. But saying thank you for a good idea, oh, absolutely. that kind of reward and recognition is really, really powerful. So it's about managing your workload, great, getting great ideas about that. And then, you know, and then sharing those, sto- involving people in coming up with those ideas. It's uh, sharing the stories, so rewarding them that way. Um, it's leadership trust, you know, that's another one of those factors. So it's bringing, you know, culture is fun and like, what does it mean? But it's like these 13 factors that all come together because you're at the core, I believe, is really leadership trusting the people that they hire. You know, there will be poor performers and that happens, but that's like, what is that? Five, 10 percent. Knowing how to deal with that, unlocking that, seeing what, you know, getting at right. the root cause. Is it a training issue? Is it just not a fit? Is it, um, you have to assume 90% of the people are oh, professionals yes. and they want to do a good job. It's yeah. the first question we always ask in the workplace assessment. Tell me something of you're proud of. I'm proud of the work that I'm doing. I'm yeah. proud of the mandate. So they want to contribute in their best way. So that's a great fundamental to work with. So then take it to say, okay, you tell me how this work can be done the best for me, where you can be your most productive and together we're going to have a beautiful workplace and you're going to work and have a productive and positive workforce. And what falls off the table, grievances and harassment and all those negative things that, you know, that happen yeah. in the place. People are healthier, sick employees are not coming in, but you can get better so that you can get faster, better so that you can be back at it. So Well, there's that whole aspect of uh, extra attention to self-care. And what I love is when, when we do these sessions together in terms of the restoration and we're meeting with the teams and, and talking about self-leadership and we're talking about, you know, we're going to be developing team charters and how to mm-hmm. engage with one another, et cetera. It's really neat when you create that space and all of a sudden you see their hearts and minds open up 
to new possibilities. Yeah. And it, it's really fun. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, that the self-reflection piece, the connection piece, the collaboration piece, when it's done within a safe space, uh, like we can create even online because that's how we're delivering our sessions. It's really, um, it's really amazing to see how quickly the the mindset can shift and also the behaviors in, in helping people to connect how that creates very positive and, and even fun mm-hmm. uh, work situations where people get energized because this is one of the things that we forget is fun is fuel, it's energy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and fun doesn't have to be dancing on tables fun. It can be like no. fun in the work that we do and the meaning that we find and yeah. connecting and learning yeah. about one another. Right. Yeah, exactly. And you're treating, like you said, you're treating, you're treating people like human beings and not like robots. Yeah. Exactly. It's, and therefore they feel valued and then they put forward their best effort. Yeah. And, yeah. and in a healthy way. So Marilyn, let's, I, I mean, you shared so much wonderful wisdom and examples, et cetera. So to, to wrap it up, to put a nice bow on it, what advice would you have to help leaders to fully and successfully transition to virtual and hybrid well, workplaces on a more permanent basis? Well, herein comes the challenge. And I, in my space is government. But what I would say is, so we ha- we're getting really good data now of what where people's work preference is going, right? As I mentioned, you know, in yeah. 90% are saying, you know, either working from home or part-time, sort of that 50-50 split. It's time now, I'd say, you know, for the senior, you know, and, you know, and senior leadership is, um, it, it has to, you have to have leadership sponsorship. You have to have some kind of a strategy for the workplace of the future. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and organizations, they have so many of these themes or um, yeah. initiatives, you know, they right. have diversity and inclusion, they have uh, psychosocial health and safety, they have, you know, we have to be a green environment, green office environment, we have to have, Bring it all together with the recognition that, you know, we are respecting individuals, all individuals, where we are thinking about the next generation of worker technology is, you know, you're working to digitalization. Those are key. You know, that's always every single organization in government has a transformation, digital transformation initiative, bringing together all those initiatives on the workplace of the future. And to say, you know, we are willing to, you know, we're doing a mind shift. We're, we're open-minded. Uh, the work, you know, the workplace and the workforce of the future is one that is empowered and autonomous, and mm. and uh, this and this and that, and set that as the paradigm. And from there, say this is what we mean by that, and to say we would like you employees to tell us where you work the best, so we can fit accommodation requirements. And uh, you know, and you have the numbers. You're doing those pulse checks, and then you're saving on office space. So you know that's going to affect your. You're saving taxpayers money, and you're saving shareholders money if you're private. You know, and come up with that strategy, and then start with um, you know a couple of pilot groups that will show success. And really, you know, do it methodically. You train the worker. You 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 come up with what is the supervisory culture, and you come up with you know how the team collaborates. Uh, given that the preference is then you know. 40% coming in two days a week, 40% staying at home and this many having to come in or whatever, you come up with all that. And then you monitor that for a, you know, a three or a six month period and you come up with the benefits and you sing, you know, you tell the product, you share the story with the organization, who's next? And you coach them along. Right. And then you're aligned with that strategy. And then you say, you know, should that be, you know, should, should we be that kind of organization for permanent? I mean, it would be good if they said, you know, let's talk about it. Just like they did with the mental health strategy, like they came up with a paradigm, which was fantastic. But something that's... And then then 
I mean, it's it's great to come out with a paradigm, but you need to be able to implement it. Yeah. And, and every and, organization does right, it. And every organization does it and believes in it because this is what um, wh- one of the, the words of caution is. It's don't just go through the motions and yeah. make it a checklist exercise. Yeah. I, I like the idea of doing it a phased approach because it also provides space and time for leadership development, which is crucial and critical to yeah. making sure that these initiatives take place. This new way of working takes place. It really is a reset. It's not going back to normal or anything like that. This is revolutionary. Yeah. What's the role of the manager in this? You've got to change What's that the culture. The and that, that role, and you redefine it in this new yes. way, is to is to is to make every person work to their best ability. And it's yeah. not to micromanage. Absolutely. You know, it's, Absolutely. You're there to bring out the greatest potential of every human being because you yeah. understand. And it's bringing the team together, being very clear in the expectations. It's that coach facilitator yeah. role. It's, and, you know, it's mentoring and it's peer support groups and it's all of that stuff. Thank goodness we're not going back to the way things were because things were not working well. Yeah. So, Marilyn, I just wanted to thank you again uh, for sharing your wisdom, your knowledge, your extensive experience uh, with us here on Little Talks. Uh, just a, a word, maybe how people can uh, reach out to you or. If they just go to enterprisechangegroup.com, that's, uh, you can find it there. Or if they have difficulties with that, then. Right. Um, so it's so it's enterprisechangegroup.com. Yeah, okay. one one word. Yeah. yeah, and and you're on LinkedIn as well, Marilyn. I'm and I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah. 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 So so please, yeah. everyone, reach out to Marilyn. Well, yeah. once again, Marilyn, thank you. You're a wonderful person. You're a special person in my life. Uh, more <laughs> than just a collaborator, your friend. I really look forward to doing a more work with you in, in this space. And uh, do you have any final words that you'd like to share? I would just like to emphasize the word trust. Like, you know, if, if you're a manager that is listening to this, tr- trust the people you hired, trust the group. You're enabling each individual or each employee to work at their personal best. And the results that you'll achieve as a result will be Absolutely. Phenomenal. Absolutely. phenomenal. So like trust is key, like establish that culture of trust. And it's amazing what that'll unleash. And uh, and, you know, and in this new age, when we're concerned about all these things, environmental, as I said, and, you know, and mental health, and, you know, they're really great things. We're having very open conversations about that. You know, think about, you know, your, what you're doing to help the world. So you're going be out of yourself. You're having that, what's uh, a very outward um, perspective. And think about the workforce that you're going to leave for the next generation. And that's mm. what, that's what excites me. So. Love it. Love it. Yeah. And, and like you said, right, this, there's benefits for managers and leaders who adopt this approach because you will love your life as a leader more. Mm-hmm. This is going to help in that domain. Well, once again, thank you everyone for listening in. Thank you, Marilyn. And uh, we'll catch you again next time. A big thank you to our Little Talk listeners for tuning into today's show. Please share with friends and colleagues who care about leadership and what is happening in our workplaces. If you'd like to keep this conversation going, please go to lightyourleadership.com to book a discovery call. While you're there, be sure to grab your copy of Light a Fire in Their Hearts, The Truth About Leadership. We wish you an excellent rest of the week. And until next time, remember to light your leadership because building authentic business relationships will help you to love your life as a leader.